about uh, prayer. The first week we did um, the prayer of Daniel, which in her book, um, The Daniel Prayer, Ann Graham Lotz, who is actually um, Billy Graham's daughter, she talks about the Daniel Prayer and how, um, how important it actually is. How Daniel comes on behalf of the Israelites. He comes on behalf of his family um, and just lifts them up. But the thing he does first is he, he shows that, you know, God, even though I come to you in prayer, you shouldn't listen. And why is that? Because of the confession that he needs to give for the sins of his nation. And what's really cool is Daniel doesn't use the word I, you know, my sins, or uh, things that I have done. What he does is he uses the word we. So he is confessing the nation's sins as well as his other, or as well as him. He is confessing that we have all done wrong. You know, in the book of Romans, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Daniel uses that way before it was written by Paul. 
Last week we talked about Abraham, and Abraham does the same thing. He, he comes to God on behalf of his people, on behalf of those in Sodom and Gomorrah who were righteous. You know, will you, will you not destroy the righteous with the wicked? Will you not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if I can find 50 people who are obedient, who are righteous? And he finally gets down to 10. He negotiates with God to say, no, you've, you've said if I could find 50, then you won't destroy it. Well, how about, how about 40? How about 30? How about 20? And finally he gets down to how about 10? If I could find 10 righteous people, will you not, not destroy all of them? And basically Lot's family is the one that leaves and then he, God goes about his business, basically. So this week we're going to talk about Nehemiah, and he does the same thing as the other two. He comes on behalf of his people. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, if you want to turn there, um, I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. Excuse me, but the first verse has a lot of weird words in it and names. So we'll get through that really quick. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, during the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, when I was a fortress city of Susa. Okay, that is the last time I'm reading that. Did you all get that? Han and I, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah. And I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. I said, Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God, who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your eyes be open, your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you, both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly toward you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. Please remember that you commanded your servant Moses. If you are faithful, or excuse me, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles are banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people. You redeem them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. At the time, I was the king's cupbearer. So he actually ends this with what he is doing. In the book, um, Partners in Prayer, I've read a lot of prayer books here recently and it's it's actually really neat. Um, John Maxwell talks about his journey of prayer. And what John would do is during his school and college years, He would take all of his classes in the morning. And then after lunch, he would have lunch with his friends. After lunch, he would go away on the other side of campus to a utility shed. 
And what he would do there is he would separate himself from others so that he could commune with God. What he would do is he would go in, he would take his Bible and he called a legal pad or a notepad, and he would just go and spend time with God. How many of us do that? In our busy schedules, how many of us have found time to spend time with God? I'll tell you, I'm, I'm guilty of not. You know, it's, it's, I'm really good at excuses, and they're not really good excuses. I'm just good at giving them. And there's always, you know, okay, I'll wake up early, you know, 20, you know, even five minutes early. And then I reach over and grab my phone, hold my finger on the button that turns off my alarm. I'd rather sleep in. So we don't find the time. At least not all of it. But that's what John Maxwell did. He, he gave time for God and very faithful man. What Nehemiah does is not much different. But he begins his prayer with sitting and weeping. Apparently, what I read was it was customary that when you started crying, you sat down and went into prayer. Because of all that was going on, he sat down almost in a, in a humble fashion, such as getting on our knees when we pray, and he started to cry, and he started to pray, and he started to fast. But it doesn't say he only did it once. It didn't say he only did it for a couple days. It said for a few days. So he did this a nice portion of a week, if not longer. So he sacrificed the time that he had. And he allowed himself to be separated from others. To dwell within God. To listen to God. To mourn, to weep. To lift up his family. Lift up his nation. Prayer and fasting, um, I've seen a lot that, that go hand in hand. A prayer and fasting is defined as voluntary, voluntarily going without food in order to focus on prayer and fellowship with God. Prayer and fasting often go hand in hand, but there's, that's not always the case. You can pray without fasting, you can fast without prayer. It is when these two activities are combined and dedicated to God's glory that they reach their full effectiveness. Having a dedicated time of prayer and fasting is not a way of manipulating God into doing what you desire. Rather, it is simply forcing yourself to focus and rely on God for strength, provision, and wisdom. That's what Nehemiah does. He, he enters into a, a reverent time with sitting and communing with God. Allowing himself to open up Sometimes it's difficult to cry around other people because it's like, oh, well, they're going to look at you and say, what are you crying for? Been there, done that. So he sacrifices his time with others and says, this is what I need to do. He cries for his family. He enters into fasting, into prayer. Again, those two can be separated, but together you are getting rid of one thing and acknowledging God to help you through. So when we're, when we're fasting, we're giving up something. We're giving up food in order to clear our minds, clean our hearts, 
and allow us to have that communion with God through prayer. But he goes on behalf of his people. The exiles who returned were in danger. And he, t he says they were in danger, disgrace. I've seen reproach. So where they have entered into in, the, in this um, area of Jerusalem, they're not entering into a good place. They're not entering into what they used to be. They're not entering into um, the land of what God had given them. So he starts to pray. The gates have been burned down. And this is really Nehemiah's family. I mean, it, it's just not their nation, but it is, it is truly his family. Nehemiah 5 through 11 is his prayer. And you can look through and see exactly how he prays. There's a pattern to his prayer. The last few weeks we've talked about uh, Daniel and Abraham and their patterns of prayer, their routines and how they start their prayer, how they end their prayer. And Nehemiah does the same thing. As I said, he fasted, he prayed, he wept, he sat. There's not necessarily a posture, but what he found was sitting and weeping. Daniel had a place up in, his, in the upper area of his home where he would go, and he would go three times a day, and he would pray to God. So he separated himself as well. Nehemiah's pattern is, first off, he gives God praise. Calls him great, awe-inspiring, um, loving. He is giving God the praise of who he is. He just doesn't come in and say, this is what I need. We have to get a pattern down that says, first off, we praise who God is. If we look at um, the Lord's Prayer, that's exactly what we do. I have it here. Our Father who in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There, we are giving a praise to who God is. We are giving him the praise and the worship that he deserves before we enter into, hey, this is what I need, our to-do list. Next, he gives a request. Nehemiah asks him, have your ears attentive to your servant. Open your eyes. These are verse 6. He's basically just telling God, listen, Hear what I'm going to pray to you. See what is happening. Next is confession. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. So he offers up the confession of his people. Not just himself. But he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself. So he doesn't use it as, well, these, the nation, the Israelites, my family has done all this. But he sends himself, or sends God his sins, his confessions, in order to clear the air between the two. Have you ever been on a phone call and you kind of get hit in a dead spot? Or, you know, it starts getting a little staticky or, and you're trying to talk to one another. It's like, well, are you there? Well, yeah, are you there? Can you hear me now? That's kind of what we do with God. 
we offer up our confessions of our sins and ask for forgiveness so that we have a clear one-on-one -on -one communion with God. There's not that static in between us. God doesn't ask. We don't ask. God, can you hear me? But we just know he does. When we start to pray vaguely, when we start to pray a very common type of prayer, excuse me, a type of prayer, yeah, the Holy Spirit intercedes on us, but God wants us to be confident and bold in what we ask. We talk about Abraham. If you will find 50 people, he gets it down to 10. If you can find 10 people that are righteous, he negotiates with God. How many of us can negotiate with God? But he has such a strong relationship with God that if he was sitting right across from me, he would say, okay, what about this? I understand what you're saying, but what about this? And he finally gets to the point where he says, can I boldly ask you one more time if you can find 10 righteous people? So he is able to use God as a relationship in order for his will as well as God's will to coincide together. Next thing is Nehemiah quotes scripture. Leviticus 26, 33 says Nehemiah quotes the scripture to provide God with the same promise. Excuse me, that's not what that says. Uh, the same promise he had to Moses and his people. Nehemiah is reminding God that his promise is still available. So Nehemiah is telling God, hey, this is what you told Moses. That if they were unfaithful, you would scatter them. But if they were faithful and came to you, you would bring them together. From all areas, you would bring them back together. So Nehemiah reminds God, almost telling him, this is what you said, and I remember that. Now you need to keep your promise. Again, I couldn't tell God to do that. But the relationship that Nehemiah had with God, as well as Daniel and Abraham prior to, and Moses, his prophets, those who communed with God so much, studied, learned, and listened, he can come to God and tell him exactly what needs to go down. Finally, he gives a final request. And he offers up again an attentive ear to hear what his servant is requesting. He's humbling himself and telling God, this is, this is what I need, but I really need you to listen from what I have said before. So he asks God simply, be attentive. Open your eyes and see what's going on here. Then he gives his request, and at the end, he simply just brings it all together. He gives his conclusion. Anyone who's ever written a paper, you give, a, give an introduction, and you write a nice long page, and then you give a conclusion. Very easy. That's what Nehemiah does. His introduction is his praise. His request begins the body of his paragraphs. 
in the body of his, his paper, his confession and his scripture. And then finally he concludes, everything I just said, this is what I'm requesting. With the way Nehemiah prayed and fasted for his people, where do we stand? Do we take time to morph into our prayer warrior? Do we take time to separate ourselves from others, such as the way John Maxwell did, so we can be personal with God? What are routines to develop a good and godly prayer life? Are we like Nehemiah and doing his routine, doing his pattern of what prayer looked like to him. First off, we praise. We give our, we give our request. We confess. We learn scripture so that we are able to see where God was beforehand and now align our will with what God was. So Nehemiah went back to Moses in Leviticus and says, this is what you did. This is what you told us. Now we need you to fulfill it. So if we're intelligent in Scripture and seeing how God came about the answers to others' prayers that are very similar to ours, we can then be confident that God will answer as well. And then finally, he sums it up with his final request. So my question is, where is our, what is your pattern of prayer? What is your posture in prayer? Do you seclude yourselves? Do you have a old utility shed? Later on, John Maxwell says when he got his, uh, got one of his homes, a friend of him, bought him brought him a huge rock. And he set it out back, and that's where he would pray. He would leave the house, he would seclude himself on this rock, and that's where he would pray. Bible and notepad in hand. Do you have an area to pray? Do you have somewhere where you can seclude yourselves in order to commune with God one-on-one? -on -one? What is the pattern of your prayer? Are we vague? Are we able to boldly come to God and say this is what I need and lay it all out? Do we spend more time talking and less time listening? I think I read one, one place at least 80% of our prayer is talking. 20% prayer on actually being quiet and listening. Maybe we need to flip-flop that. And we just commune with God and just listen. Less talking, more listening maybe then we will be able to see the answers to our prayers. So where are we with, your, with our prayer lives? I'll tell you, it's definitely not where I would like to be. You know, it, it takes a while to enter into a pattern, into an, enter into a routine and, and read and study and know the ways of God. It's hard. You can't understand everything that God has. If you did, you would be God. So if we are able to seclude ourselves for just a little bit, a room in our house, a tree out back, go out into the woods and just have 
have prayer time. Hunting, fishing, time to pray with God. Not pray to God, but pray with God. Yes, Zach, I was looking right at you when I said the fishing thing. But there are always areas in our lives where we can do that, where we can commune with God. So I'm going to end in prayer, and, and what I'm asking the same thing is try. Maybe that's what we need to do. Just try to enter into a true communion with God and in a relationship where you can come to God and uh, bounce ideas off of Him, argue with Him a little bit, and try and say, hey God, won't we try this and, and not what you have in mind? Good luck with that. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for the words that you have, for the mindset that you gave Nehemiah and those in the Old Testament, for one. That they are able to come to you and give you their thoughts on what needs to be done. But God, they are also humble in being bold and confident in what they are asking. But they have such a great relationship that they know they can do that. And Lord, I pray that we are able to do that. That we enter into a relationship with you that is so beyond what we can imagine right now. That we can commune with you and fellowship with you in love, in humility, but also in your grace and your mercy for us. Let us learn your routine that you have given Nehemiah and also what you gave Jesus in your prayer. That we offer up our praises to who you are and to who we see you as. That we can ask anything in your name and it'll be done. According to your will, it will be done. Let us confess our sins to you, what we have done, who we have wronged. Let us ask for forgiveness, and may we clear the air between us. May you, we use your scripture as guidance to the answers to our prayers, such as you did with Moses and Nehemiah told you, this is what you told Moses. And we're basically asking you to fulfill that promise. And then, Lord, let us confidently and boldly come to you with what we need. And let's just lay it all out. You already know exactly what the prayer is. You already know what the answers to that prayer are. You just seek us to come to you to humble ourselves and pray. And Lord, we are thankful that we can do that, that we can come to you knowing you have it all in your hands. Bless us, Lord, in all that we say and do. May we be the light that you have given us to others. Thank you, Lord. May your spirit walk with us daily. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.